0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,033. Answer when asked what the advice is, and that is, do what you're
1: passionate about, do what you're interested in.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, hauling in all the way from Copenhagen. Is that right, Ben? It is. All right. Ben Erickson. Ben, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I am buckled up. Not all the time. Not all the cars I drive have seatbelts, but I'm
0: buckled (laughs) up right now. Oh, good. Well, I'll try to keep it between the lines here. (laughs) Ben Erickson is an automotive author a restoration consultant, a Concours judge, and he's authored books about French cars with the past Cars yet guest, Peter Larson. In addition to being a connoisseur of the grand French classics, he is a Maserati... I should say Maseratisti. Is that the right way to say that? Maseratisti? I think that's what they say, yes. (laughs) Yes, it's a tongue twister. Having owned a number of Maserati and a special interest in all things ESO, as well as Swedish and American cars from the challenging years... In the 1970s and 1980s when, as Ben says, they did the best with what they had. Ah, yes, those malaise years. Although originally from Minnesota and after a brief stay in Finland, his time is spent between Denmark and Thailand. As a linguist and fluent in five languages, including Finnish, Ben also owns a translation company. And Ben's latest venture with Peter Larson, of course, was that wonderful three-volume book series titled The Kellner Affair, Matters of Life and Death. So Ben, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and maybe share a little bit more about your life and your career and a very obvious passion for automobiles?
1: Well, you basically uh, hit it on the button there, especially the uh, quote about doing the best they could with what they had. I'm surprised that you saw that. (laughs) Um, But yes, I've been into cars my whole life, and my taste in cars has evolved over time, as it should. I do consulting on the restorations and uh, have been Fortunate enough to, to do some judging at Concours. And then, of course, there are the car books that we have done as well.
0: Oh, yeah. And some amazing car books. I mean, the in-depth information that you guys have put together with some of your books. And for cars that are, I wouldn't say outliers, but they're cars that are very unique and very different than even a lot of U.S. collectors might know about. So I'm very excited to share the books that you've done with my listeners and all the different things. And as we continue on your journey, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is uh, some kind of saying that's been inspirational in forming your life or instrumental. And it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Garcia. Yeah? So, Ben, take the wheel.
1: The easy answer, I think, is the same one, which I, I think that a lot of your guests answer when asked what the advice is. And that is, do what you're passionate about. Do what you're interested in. That's not really a quote. It's not really a mantra. So I think I'll borrow from someone else who's also been on your program, and that's don't be a lemming and don't copycat what everybody else is doing. Follow your own interests, and your interests may not be what everybody else think is thinks is interesting, as I'm sure that you'll learn here as I continue my conversation. And think outside the box, and again... As another guest said, don't take no for an answer and don't give up because uh, that can be be applied to anything, whether it's automotive or not. And inside the automotive arena, writing the books, you hit the wall many times, both figuratively as well as in research or having doors slammed in your face and saying, no, we don't want to participate. And then as well as in restoring a car, you hit a wall as well or a restoration company says that can't be done. We can't do it. And don't take no for an answer. Figure it out.
0: Well, your Pat, I I love the quotes, by the way, and I love the whole philosophy here because a lot of people, they get into cars and then they think, oh, I should buy this because that's what people like, or that's what I should have, or maybe that's because that car might be worth more later, and even though I like this car over here, and they don't even explore things outside their realm. Now, your taste is, is in a lot of different places, but it's very unique and very different. So when you think back in your life, how did you come across some of these interesting cars that you have become fascinated with and own?
1: Well, I think that my fascination with the Swedish cars, first of all, they weren't that common where I grew up. Uh, I grew up in Minnesota. That was the first new car that my family had. So that's probably where I think a lot of people, their early memories from, from when they were children, that stays very much part of who they are throughout their whole, their whole life. So I think that's where that... Side came from, and I'm still passionate about those cars. The French cars, that's what I learned after I came to, after I came to Europe, and, and I would go to Retromobile, the, the, the car show in Paris in February. I've been there yes. every year since I came to Europe. Uh, uh, so that, that has a fixed place in my calendar every February. I think that with French cars, the further you get into them, the, digger, the deeper you dig, yes. uh, the more <laughs> fascinating they are, and the more that, like great art, they're not necessarily always accessible and understandable at the onset. And each time you look at them, you discover something new or something different. And I think it can be applied to to many things, whether it's a, it's a film or a book or a piece of work, uh, uh, artwork.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's a nice segue to my next question, but speaking of retromobile, I was last there in 2011 and I need to get back because that show, it just blew me away. I've been to a lot of different shows and car shows, but there's a whole different feeling to that event and it's just it's just wonderful and of course the setting paris and all the different places you go and the beautiful building where the the cars that were being auctioned off were displayed that the, the wrought iron art deco ceilings i mean it was just it's just a magical show i'm oh yelling. yes you
1: you do need to go back especially if you haven't been since 2011 the, the show has gone through a lot of changes and it's grown it's become better it's become bigger it's become well more french as well and it, yes. it's a must to do
0: Absolutely. You know, my mom's wanted to go to Paris forever. Maybe I should take her to Paris in February. She probably won't like the cold, but I think she'll be happy just being in yes, Paris. Yes, this
1: year was there was a blizzard and that didn't help the matters. Yeah,
0: I I saw You're that right. from all my friends that were there. Well, I talked about a segue here. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Uh, if we go back in time here, is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew where you were indeed going to be a car?
1: Well, I don't know as if I... Ever knew that I would be a car guy because I didn't know what to do with the interest. But the interest and the fascination and the the passion, for lack of a better word, was always there. In fact, I have a, a couple anecdotes, which are kind of funny, which I haven't thought about these stories until I was contacted by you. And my memory, I jogged my memory and went back to my childhood and I realized, I guess I was very much into cars back then. I'm not necessarily good with names and I'm not good at remembering people, but I'm good at cars. That's how I, I attach, okay, I know this person because I know that they drove this car. I do the same thing. <laughs> or I knew my way around town, my, the, the town I grew up in. I knew my way around there because I knew that this household had this car out front next to the curb. Yes. So I, anyway, so I think I must have been between three and four years old because my chronology of my memory tells me that this is the car that this person had. I was about three or four years old, and I was uh, being babysat, and uh, we were going to go to lunch. And my babysitter had a Volkswagen 1600, which I think was called the, the, the squareback in America.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Great car.
1: And uh, when, I, when, I, when, I, when I discovered that we were going to be taking this car to go eat, I, I couldn't deal with it. I, I screamed and I had a conniption and, and had a fit. And I refused to go in the car. And, and I was a child, so she picked me up then and put me in the car. And I continued screaming and I, I didn't want to go in the car. And I knew back then that the reason was that it was a rear-engined car. And to me, and I don't understand how I knew that it was rear-engined, but I did. And to me, it, it was not right, because in my mind, the engine was in the front and the trunk was in the rear. <laughs> and so sitting in the rear seat, I realized that the engine was there and I didn't want to do it. And then there was also the fact that it didn't have a grille. It just had these two headlights with no grill, the flat mm-hmm. front. Yeah. And to me, it was wrong. And so I, I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> deal with it. So we ended up. She called her husband and her husband came back and he had to also be able to cut the Supreme. Okay. And he took that instead. And there I had no problem. But <laughs> be, at the funny. age of three, I, at the age of three I I, <laughs> I couldn't deal with it. And then the next year, I know this is this was the next year when I was four because I remember when the car came out. We were going to Thanksgiving when the relatives would show up, I'd run out and everybody else would greet the relatives and I'd go out and look at the car. To check out if they got a new car or what they did, and my uncle had just gotten the new Oldsmobile Cutlass, and I went and studied it and looked at it and played around with it, and then I saw the hubcaps, and it bothered me because he had Buick hubcaps on his Oldsmobile, so I went inside and I asked him. I said, "What's going on here? Why do you have these? Why do you have the wrong hubcaps?" Thinking that the dealership had sold him the wrong hubcaps or that he was bamboozled into something that he didn't want. Mm-hmm. And he told me that, uh, well, they lived in a rural community. Uh, he was a farmer and had a long driveway, which was not paved. And so when the springtime came around, it turned into mud. And he told the dealership when he went to pick the car up, it had these these wire discs, wheel covers. And he said, I'm not going to take that car home because one drive up my driveway, I'll, they'll get full of mud and I'll never get the mud out. So the only car that they had that had non-wire wheels or wheel covers was a Buick Century, And so we got the Buick Century hubcaps on his Walshville bill. But I remember that it completely ruined my Thanksgiving because that's all I could concentrate was that the car wasn't right. And so I guess that's where my judging sensibilities originated, you know, authenticity and originality and has to
0: be correct. Oh, my gosh, Ben, that is a hilarious story. I mean, I'm sitting here with a huge smile on my face because <laughs> I think this little kid, first of all, won't get in the car because the engine's in the wrong place. And then he notices... The friend's hubcaps are wrong. And then the story about the mud in the hub. I mean, it's hilarious, but perfect. Perfect way to start your, your life. I'm sorry you were so turmoiled as a child with these car issues. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. I love it. Well, Ben, what I want to do now is take a look at the many roads you've driven down. Talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you might have faced along the way in your life and career. Uh, But, of course, these things are valuable teaching lessons. So tell us about one of yours and kind of walk us through what it taught you.
1: Well, fortunately, I think that my car activities have all been positive so far. But as far as other challenges, I would say that one of the largest challenges, major challenges, that's when I made the decision to come to Denmark and and live here and and, and have my life here. I was 17 when I first came. And uh, I was an exchange student and finished high school here. I went back for a couple of years of university back in Minnesota, but then I continued studies here because I missed being in Denmark and wanted to be here. That was a challenge of finding out how to do it to make it work and is also how to get your visa and your permission to stay in the country. And like everywhere else, it's been tightened up. And so I decided to come to Denmark and study and turned into getting a job. And then I had some stays in Finland and then came back to Denmark and That was a challenge.
0: Well, no doubt. And, you know, it's interesting growing up in Minnesota, where there's a lot of influence from that part of the country, uh, in that part of the country, from the part of the world you live in now. There must have been some relationship of it. You know, everybody listening is probably going, "Okay, a kid in Minnesota who ended up living in another part of the world and that part of the world. I mean, what about Finland and Denmark and and that part of the world where you so intrigued with it? You wanted to go spend your life there.
1: Well, I didn't. If, if we want to go into it, I wanted ah. to go. I, I had, when I was 16, I think I was 16, and I was an exchange student in Mexico. And oh, I had studied wow. Spanish, and everything I wanted to do was Mexico and Spanish and Spanish, Spanish, Spanish. Uh-huh. And I enjoyed the time in Mexico, and so I wanted to continue studying in a foreign country with Spanish, so I chose Spain. And at the time, I, uh, the easiest way for me to do that was with the Rotary Youth Exchange Programme. And with that program, you're allowed to give three choices where you want to go. And I chose, of course, Spain. And then my second and third choice were, I think, other countries. I don't quite remember where they were. I got sent to Denmark. <laughs> Uh-oh. I thought that traveling and going abroad and spending a year abroad was, was more important to me than continuing with Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I came to Denmark and fell in love with Denmark and the Danish language and Scandinavia. And uh, that's how that got started.
0: Wow. Amazing story. Worldly guy, that's for sure. It wasn't planned. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know where life might take you, what road, if you just take a gamble and, and go see the world. I think the takeaway I have for this, and, and so many people in the world never leave where they are, and heaven forbid, some people never even leave the city or state that they're in. There's so much to learn out there and so much to go see. I know that my kids in high school, we sent them off to Europe, uh, and my son actually and spent a little time in Africa. And... They came back whole different people. I mean, just their minds were so open to other opportunities and other people and cultures. It's just something that everybody should really try to do, I believe. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's a pivot. It's a and It sounds like you've had a lot of pivots, my friend. A time when uh, the headlights kind of illuminate a new path for you. Tell us about one of yours.
1: Well, that would probably be when I made the decision to leave the corporate world. Um, I'd worked with linguistics and IT, concentrate on, on cars. And in a situation a know of years ago where the company I was working at uh, went through some changes, and that's when I decided to become independent and open my translation company. Cool. Most importantly, that also afforded me the freedom to work with the cars, whether it was the books or the consulting or, or the traveling with the cars. Mm-hmm. So that was a major decision because I obviously still have my obligations and my commitments with my translation company. But being independent, I can decide when I do that and when I don't do that and when I do the car stuff and when I don't do the car stuff. So that's very important. And that's a, it's a great luxury to be able to, to
0: do that. Now, how did you and Peter Larson meet? And I mentioned at the beginning, he's been a guest on my show a couple of times, actually. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Kellner Affair book, Matters of Life and Death. But how did you and Peter meet?
1: Well, we met here in Denmark. We sort of had, as you just called it, sort of an aha moment. I was standing in his entrance of, of where he was living, and I saw a book on the. He had a bookshelf. And on the bookshelf was a book. I don't remember the book it was, but it had an Avanti, a Studebaker Avanti. And I said to him, oh, there's an Avanti. And I didn't know he was into cars, and he didn't know I was into cars. and I think he was sort of dumbfounded and taken aback. And what is this? How do, you, how do you know what that is? And I, well, of course it's an Avanti. And then we were out uh, having dinner a couple weeks later and uh, we were walking on the sidewalk and I don't even remember the car it was, but he mentioned something about the car and I said, yes, but look at the belt line. And he'd never met somebody, I don't think, in Denmark who nevertheless, or never even knew the word belt line, but would use it in a sentence, matter of factly. Yes. And so that's how we discovered that we had this common interest in cars. I was into di- different cars than he was into. And that's how I learned about the you know, the great French classics and coach building.
0: Yeah, exactly. And by the way, that car had the wrong hubcaps too, so that probably helped well, yes. long- <laughs> the way as well. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here, Ben, and talk about your first really special car. Now I know you have a couple cool cars in your garage right now. One of them is an AC, I believe, but Let's talk about your first really special car, that first car that you got that was like, oh, wow, finally, I've got this thing. And maybe share a special memory you have about that vehicle.
1: All of my cars have been special. I've never been wanting to have mainstream cars. I know that some people have said, oh, yeah, the guy with the, the strange cars or the <laughs> wacky cars, even, even in, when I was in high school. But my second car that I had was, was, was a rather kooky car. That was a 1986 Mercure. XR4Ti.
0: Oh yes,
1: that was the—I guess you could say—the failed attempt of Ford to sell a German Ford in America.
0: Yes, the German yes.
1: Ford Sierra. Yep, um, yep. But it didn't have the the European engines. It had the American Thunderbird turbo engine. Mm-hmm. And I bought it because I liked it. I I loved the styling with the biplane spoiler and the. I liked the Ford Sierra as well, and I bought it. And uh, it was a complete money pit. I. That summer, I worked two full-time jobs, and the car was in the shop all the time, and, and everything went wrong with it. Yeah. But I did manage to enjoy it. I went on a road trip. I, we drove from Minnesota to uh, Niagara Falls, back, and it made it. Had a couple of stops at Mechanics. That was an interesting car, but I, I'd always liked the Mercure's. Uh, I learned to drive in high school when I took my driver's license. I, we had a Mercure Scorpio, so I, I liked those cars. And then the other car that we had was a, a, a full-size Ford van. And that was the first car I sat behind the wheel of and actually drove. I drove through the garage door because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> oh, no. And th- that was not a good experience. <laughs> no. And then uh, the second time out, I ended up in the ditch. But it was in the middle of winter in Minnesota. So a rear-wheel drive car is yeah. not a, you know. But right. I, I yeah. learned how to drive in the snow. I learned how to drive on the ice. That's a, a good skill to have.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ah, fun stories. Mercure, yeah, I remember those cars. You didn't see many of them around, but... They were certainly different and stood out for sure. How about a car that you've let go? Is there a seller's remorse story that lingers in your mind? Yes, all of them.
1: All of every, them. Every yeah. every car that I've sold, i you know, I I don't I don't want to do it. I don't want to sell cars. I'm a sort of a keeper. Yeah. But yeah, every every car. But even if I look back at what, you know, someone once told me was the eighties ladies. Those cars, I'm still as much passionate about those as I am about the Maseratis and the Bizzarini and Iso and Duesenberg and Talbot. I wish I had all the cars, but of course, it's that, not possible. And of course, I could go out and buy a, a Saab today or something like that. But they're just as, isn't as interesting to me as these uh, pre-war cars. It's kind of funny. I get teased that sometimes that if I am working really hard on a project and I'm deep into pre-war French cars like a Delahaye or Hispano-Suiza, that I'll take a break and I'll Maybe take five minutes and go on to eBay or some other classified site and pour over the ads for, you know, a 1988 Buick Riviera. T Type, of course, and stare <laughs> at the pictures and look at the prices. And I work a lot with the French cars and, and the pre-war, but I'm still just as interested in what I grew up with.
0: Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. Now, when I had Peter on, we talked in depth about this book that you guys co-authored, The Kellner Affair, Matters of Life and Death. And it's a fascinating story. A lot of it, I wasn't aware of it. I'd love for you to share, in case any of our listeners are listening now that missed that show with Peter, and I encourage them to go back and listen to that show, but talk a little bit about how you got involved in this book and what the book's about and what excited you about this project, because it's an in-depth, three-volume. I mean, the thing is huge. The the history is fascinating.
1: We were involved in, or we were involved, we were writing a Ficcone book, and a very large project. We were about halfway done. And then the research, we go very deep when we do a book. One of the reviewers for, I think the Sao Chic book had written, they don't do light books. So we, 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 we go after detail. Yeah. And one of the items that we were researching, we just couldn't get it to make sense. And so we dug deeper. And then we had a woman in France who's helped us in the past. She calls herself a documentalist. She goes into the archives. And she digs and finds documents in different archives because the French have kept everything. Mm -hmm. So we found some of the the documents that we needed. We found all of them that we needed. And they didn't make sense. And the more we looked at them, we could see that this story needs to be told. But it wasn't really a Fagoni story. We played with the idea of having a two-story, a separate story to go along with the the Fagoni story. But uh, that didn't really make sense. And so uh, we dropped the Fagoni book for the time being, did the calendar book, and uh, put that out. And now we're back on,
0: on Fagone full-time. Wow. Well, the book was uh, launched at Retromobile this past mm-hmm. year. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what are some of the places that people can find this book?
1: Um, well, they can find it from the publisher, who is Dalton Watson, daltonwatson.com. I think all of the major booksellers, automotive booksellers, have it. Um, there's Motorsmania in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, Hortons Books in the UK. There's Galena in, in Italy. I'm not so familiar with the American booksellers, but I'm sure that they have
0: them. Absolutely. I'll make sure I put links to where you can find this book for the listeners out there. It's a fascinating story. And again, you can go back and listen to my talk with Peter. He goes in depth about mm-hmm. Kellner and the whole thing and how it all worked and what it's all about. But it, it's absolutely spectacular. And I can't imagine the work that you guys dug into uh, to put all these facts together. It's absolutely brilliant. So bravo. Great job.
1: Thank you. Well, it's, it's also it's it's been very good for me as well because i was born in 1975 so and 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 grew up in, in the midwest so my exposure to this part of the world history is rather weak mm-hmm. so i've had to learn a lot about it myself and also learn about the cars of that period yeah, uh, yeah for example i know it's kind of funny but for me when we started when i first started getting into french cars and learning about the body styles and the coach builders i, I mean i knew what a, coupe de ville or coupe de ville was and i knew what a brougham was but i to me a brougham was a trim level on a buick or right, that was, right. Lim- that was that was limited it would have been a buick it would have been on a ford and and, and coupe de ville was a cadillac but so i had to learn a lot about about coach building
0: where the names really came from
1: yes. <laughs> exactly and what they meant and what they meant what, yeah. what they meant
0: what comes to mind is that commercial back i think it was the 70s the fine Corinthian leather <laughs> yes just- yes on what is set? that? Yeah, yeah, what is that? I oh, just made up stuff. So oh, fun. Well, Ben, here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a vehicle, what would Ben be and why? Uh, let me think about that. I was talking
1: to somebody about that, I think, because I'd been listening to your other guests in the other uh, programs you did. And so I, I told someone, can you what would you what would you call yourself if you were a car? And the person said to me, well, you'd be a Saab, of course, because uh, you're Scandinavian, strange, irrelevant and stupid. And I thought, "Oh, okay. Well, not everybody shares my passion. I can see, but to answer your question, I I think I'd probably be a Maserati by Turbo from oh, the okay. De Tomaso era. Yes, they're small, complicated, high maintenance, and I think that those can sort of be used to describe me. Um, but very, very much worth all the trouble. I know that that they, those cars get a bad rap. A lot of people. Every time I see one on the internet, I I." I, I, I zoomed down to read the, the comments written by other readers, and it's usually written by people that don't know what the car is, don't
0: understand right. them,
1: never ever touched them or came into contact with them, but they're amazing cars. I had a Ghibli GT from 1997, which was the last iteration of the bi-turbo. That was probably, in my mind, the car that I've had that drove the best. It's just an oh, amazing wow. car. The engine, the gearbox, the suspension, the steering, it, it fits you like a glove. Amazing yes. car.
0: Yeah, they really are, and I loved your comment, uh, worth the trouble very nicely said
1: <laughs> very <laughs> well because nice. yeah, I, I like to talk up these cars they're great cars and i say it to people you know if you want an audi buy an audi if you want a bmw buy a bmw you don't buy a you don't buy a maserati to drive to work in the rain right it's not a good idea especially right. if it's
0: a bi-turbo and especially if but you it, if, you treat, it if you
1: treat it nicely it'll treat <laughs> you nicely
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah they're wonderful cars uh, i've known many people who have them they do have idiosyncrasies but they are worth the time for sure well, Ben, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Car Yeah! sponsors. Hey, this is Mark Green. You know, I've been using Covercraft covers to protect my cars and motorcycles since I was in high school. That was way back in 1975. This month, I'm offering you, as a Car Yeah! listener, a very special deal. Starting April 16th, 2018, through April 30th, 2018, you'll receive 10% off all NOAA fabric custom car covers and 10% off all Wolf ready fit semi custom covers. Simply use the code CARSYAP yeah on checkout at covercraft.com. NOAA is the most popular outdoor fabric specially made by Kimberly Clark to protect your special vehicle. It provides maximum protection from the harmful UV rays of the sun. Rain, dust, those nasty bird droppings, snow, dings, and it's breathable, and it's very soft on your paint. Wolf Ready Fit Semi Custom Covers are an economical option and provide indoor and outdoor protection for your special car. Simply go to Covercraft.com and order the style and color you like best, and boom, you're set. You'll thank me later, and your car will thank me too. That's Covercraft.com, and be sure to use the code CARSYA at checkout. That's Covercraft.com. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Okay, Ben, we're back and we're entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the bi-turbo throttle so here we go <laughs> what's the best automotive advice you've ever received
1: oh that's very easy that's how to drive a manual gearbox
0: mm. because
1: i took my license uh, in minnesota and in america i back then anyway i don't know how it is today but back then you learned to drive using an automatic gearbox yep and uh, at the time my brother had a, a rusted out chevrolet love pickup and that had a manual gearbox, and I, I remember I sort of tried to teach myself how to do it, and I didn't really do a very good job on that. But all of my cars I had in America, I think the majority of them were manuals, but when I look back at it, I never drove them. I operated them. And so when I, came to, when I first came to, to, to Denmark, I was out driving, and someone said to me, they looked at me, and they said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm driving. And they said, no, you're not. You're operating the car, but you're not driving it. And so I got some lessons and I I was learned, I I was taught how to drive uh, a gearbox in a Cobra. Oh. And uh, that was a much different experience because first of all, the Cobra got that amazing gearbox and the powerful engine. And then you, then you learned, I learned how to use the gearbox to control the car, but that's not, that's nothing I learned in America. And so I think that that was a very valuable tool is to learn how to drive the manual gearbox. And then also how to actually, again, not operate a car, but to drive it. And, and I learned that uh, driving through Germany. I think that that's something that every person, whether they're into cars or not, should experience, and that's driving on the German Autobahn, because there you're you're driving the car. You know, you're not eating a burger or, no. or playing with a stereo. You're driving.
0: <laughs> yes. You're paying attention to what you're doing and staying out of the left lane unless you're that, passing. Yes,
1: that, that's very important.
0: Yeah, yeah, great place to drive. I've had fun times on the Autobahn there and some very cool cars. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years?
1: I think just going to work. Just get up and go to work. I think that, uh, well, nothing I've done is necessarily traditional or customary. I don't have a traditional working day. I don't have a traditional working week. But I go to work every day, uh, no matter where I am. And I'm fortunate enough to, to have a hobby and interests and a job that they, they merge into one another. And so I can do them all. And I don't take vacations. I don't take holidays. But I do, tra- I do travel a lot and I experience a lot. I see things that I never imagined I'd see before. I meet amazing people. So I think, why take a holiday? So I, I think that working, working, and and if you can combine those two, it's a good idea.
0: The sacred sauce to life, for sure. Now about a resource. There are tons of great resources these days. Is there one you'd like to share with our listeners? Well,
1: as a historian, with the books, I cannot stress enough how I think uh, one needs to be careful about using the internet as a resource. It is a resource, but one can't take it for face value. I think one should uh, look at what they're reading before they say, oh, it's written here, you know. But when that's said, I will say that the one thing that I found out has been very useful are Facebook groups, especially in with restoration of cars. I'm, as I think, you know, restoring a studs from 1971, which is a mixture of American parts and Italian parts, Maserati parts, Alfa Romeo parts, etc, etc. I'm not an expert on GM from the late 60s, early 70s, and I'm not an expert on Alfa Romeo from the late 60s, early 70s. So there are a lot of times during this process where I've had to uh, figure out, well, what is this part? Where did it come from? What car did it come from? Or where do I get it? And then I discovered that, uh, well, I I joined some of these uh, Facebook owners groups, you, you, you come into contact with people who own these cars, know everything about these cars, and uh, most importantly, it's a community, so they want to help. And so uh, you post a question and say, you know, what is this switch? Where did it come from and where do I buy it? And then you only get, uh, you not only get one answer, but maybe three or five or six people that will come in with their point of view and say, well, you don't want to buy it from this person, but from this person. And then it's a good tool.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can learn an awful lot. If I could arrange for you to have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would that person be? Jacques <laughs> Sauchique. Ha yes. I, I knew that so. right
1: away. <laughs> well, well, first of all, because I can add to that, it would have to be Jacques Sauchique, but it would have to be at the Paris Salon in the Grand Palais. Uh-huh. You, you, before, you were mentioning about that architecture and that building with the iron and the glass. Yes, and, yes. First of all, it, it's in Paris, and that, that can never go wrong. Along with having your drink with him, you'd be able to look at the car's that you see in these photographs of the of the salons the auto shows from the last 100 years and and it, it's like having a time machine not only that uh, from doing the the project on Sao chic and, and getting to know the family i've learned that he was a very amicable person very friendly man so i'm sure it would be a win-win for everybody
0: ah uh, it'd be fantastic and i love the uh, the idea of adding the location uh is so so important mm-hmm. Now, I know three of the books you've been involved with. So I always ask my guests for a favorite book to recommend. Talbot Lago Grand Sport, The Car from Paris. Jacques Saussure, Maitre Caroussier. You're going to have to say the title of that book because <laughs> you're going to say it so much better than I do. So go for it. Uh,
1: Jacques Saussure, Maitre Carusier. I speak languages. I don't speak French, unfortunately.
0: Oh. <laughs> well, you so. did much better than I can. And, of course, The Kellner Affair, Matters of Life and Death. Those are two great or three great books that you've worked on with Peter is there another book you might recommend to our listeners well i will say that there is a title it's not a book
1: but it, it is a title um mm-hmm. and i and I, I can preface that by saying that that growing up in a rural community my exposure was limited to whatever the local library and it was a small library had but i had subscriptions to to magazines when i was in second grade i opened up my first subscription to car and driver and then i had motor trend and automobile and i I still have all those issues. I, it takes up a lot of shelf space, but I still have all of my car magazines. Wow. And so I would say the title today that I would recommend, especially if you're into French cars, would be La Croisserie. Ah, and yes. that was a trade magazine, a French trade magazine from, I don't know exactly when it started. I would presume around the turn of the century, around 1900. And it, uh, I think it closed down around the mid-50s. But a set of those would be the most invaluable tool. But not just French cars, because there are other makes that had stands at the show, and so you could see the, the, the pictures of these cars when they were new. Unfortunately, the majority of the cars that are, are pictured have been lost or destroyed, and so they're no longer with us. But they're great tools, because they label the cars and say who, who, who did the body and who built the car. And inside the articles, or alongside the articles, are then, because it's a trade magazine, are advertisements from companies that made steering wheels or upholstery or, mm. or leather or what have you. So it gives you a insight
0: into the automotive industry back then nice wonderful well i'll remind our listeners i'll put links to all these great resources ben has shared on his cars yeah show notes page just go to cars yeah type in ben erickson and you'll find that page with all these cool links all right we're up to the checkered flag ben and this last question can be a bit of a doozy today i'm going to buy you any cool collector car in the world but here's the deal it's the only one you're going to have in your garage you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with and i want you to drive it and enjoy it. No garage queens here at cars. Yeah, what's it going to be, and why?
1: Well, you mentioned Duesenberg, or no? You mentioned Doozy, so of course yeah. I mainly thought of Duesenberg. But that's not what I had in mind. But now you're. But now see, this is the problem: is that you could never have one. I you know. I can, so I, I originally I was going. This is going to be a little longer answer, but I hope that the, I can I can have the time. I was originally thinking a Tablet Lago T twenty six Grand Sport by Salošek, mm, of course. Mm-hmm. And it had to be the first chassis. So chassis 101, which was the Paris show car shown in 1948. It's mm. got a very, very cool color. It's mint green and brown. Yes. And uh, most people think it's probably cream or white with black. But then I was lucky enough to, to get a hold of some, some colored photographs from when it was photographed in Life magazine. So I can see that the color was actually mint green and brown. And, of course, it's got that amazing shape and that engine and the, the Wilson preselector gearbox. But it's not a one-off. It's yeah. a two-off. Okay. So I, I'm going to push that to you can buy me that next time. But the okay. car that you can <laughs> okay. buy me now would be a 1953 Picasso Z102B Series 1 Coupe by Sao And this is a lost car. But it's an amazing car. It's yellow. It's a, It's like a post-it note yellow. So it's not a screaming bright yellow, but a, a pale yellow. And the interior... Is leopard skin so the seats and the door cappings are made of leopard skin and on the dashboard uh, surrounding the dials and the bezels is genuine gold and all the buttons are ivory
0: oh my
1: so goodness. Uh, it's rather decadent and i don't think that you could restore it today um where are you are going to get a leopard skin and, and ivory and all that but it was ordered by a, a baron when it was new as a gift for his mistress
0: Wow, you know, is that so the that's car? So that's what you can buy me. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, well, oh, you just broke the bank. Uh, that's the car, wasn't that car in Amelia? No, it's lost. Oh, it's lost. Okay, I'm thinking they of ha- a different... They have
1: had, they have had, they have had Pegasus. Okay,
0: at, at I'm America. thinking of a different car. Okay, wow. Well, you picked something very unique, and I knew you would. I, I was very excited about this question for you in particular, because of your taste and eclectic nature and knowledge. And I was thinking, man, where are we going today? This is fun. Yes, was... but
1: it, it, it'll change. I mean, tomorrow you can ask the same question. I'll say, I'll, <laughs> and I'll say a Volvo 262 coupe.
0: So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you picked that car today because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be Googling that to go, what are they talking about? What is this car? Where is this? So, oh, my goodness. Wow. What a special vehicle. Yeah. And, and all the details, too. Just a, a little gem if you will. So <laughs> very nice. I would love to see you cruising around in that vehicle. Nice. Well, Ben, you've taken us on a great ride today. I knew you would. I want to thank you for calling in all the way from uh, starting my day here in the morning, your evening, Copenhagen. This is very cool. feel like we're sitting in the same room, just sharing our passion for cars. Would you offer us one little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 53 Pegaso?
1: Well, I think it's the, the same thing that, that we started with, is, is, is uh, you have to go after what you're passionate about or interested in, because you can't fake it. And I think that something that's very important is to uh, use the people around you, use the people whom you know, your network, build your network, cultivate your network, and be international. Because the people that are into, let's say you're into a, a Buick, of course, you're going to have a lot of people in America that know a lot about Buicks. But for example, in Sweden, there's this huge American scene. And so uh, there may be some other insights or opinions or or help you can get there. And I think that uh, it's important to use the people you know because no one can ever be an expert on one thing all the time.
0: Yes, be international. Great advice. And what's the best way for listeners to follow along with you and keep up with what you're doing? Well, I have these Facebook pages for each of the book titles that I can give
1: you. Uh, There I do updates. And so you can see what we're working on, current projects and what we've done in the past. And if I come across a car that is relevant for the, the Facebook page. I'll make a post on it or something. So there I can be followed. There is a website, Autostar. I think it's auto-star.eu. That's yes. the, mm-hmm. yeah, the website.
0: Great. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I put links to all these Facebook pages and Autostar on Ben Shono's page. Uh, check out what he's doing. Follow along with what he's doing. Fascinating life, fascinating stories, wonderful books. I'll make sure we put links to those books as well. If you love a great automotive library, all these books belong in your library. Ben, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me. This has been a wonderful talk. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. It's been been fun. You're welcome. You take care of your cars.